Chapter Twenty Five of the Chautauqua Girls at Home. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Chautauqua Girls at Home by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Five: The Added Name. That same evening was fraught with memorable associations to others beside Flossy Shipley. It began in gloom and unusual depression, even to bright-faced Marion. The day had been a hard one in school. Those of the scholars who had been constant attendants at the meetings felt the inevitable sense of loneliness and loss that must follow the close of such unusual means of help. I have actually heard some Christian people advance this fact, that there was a reaction of loneliness after such meetings closed, as a good reason why they were unwise efforts, demoralizing in their results. It is a curious fact that such reasoners are never found to advocate the entire separation of family friends on the plea that a reunion followed by a separation is demoralizing in its results because it leaves an added sense of loneliness. It is, perhaps, to be questioned whether loneliness is, after all, demoralizing in its effects. Be that as it may, many of the scholars felt it. Then there were some among their number who had persistently shunned the meetings and their influences, who, now that the opportunity was past, felt those stings of conscience that are sure to follow enlightened minds who have persisted in going a wrong road. Also there were those who had been almost persuaded, and who yet, so far as their salvation was concerned, were no nearer it that day than though they had never thought of the matter, for almost never saves a soul. All these influences combined served to make depression the predominant feeling. Marion struggled with it, and tried to be cheerful before her pupils, but sank into gravity and unusual sadness at every interval between the busy hours of the day. Late in the afternoon she had a conversation with one of the girls which did not serve to encourage her heart. It was the drawing hour. Large numbers of the young ladies in her room had gone to the studio with the drawing master, those who remained were engaged in copying their exercises for the next morning's class. Marion was at leisure, her only duty being to render assistance in the matter of copying whenever a raised hand indicated that help was needed. Answering one of these calls, she found herself at the extreme end of the large room, quite near to Gracie Dennis's desk, and in passing she noticed that Gracie, while her book was before her and her pen in hand, was not writing at all, but that her left hand was shading a face that looked sad and pale, and covering eyes that might have tears in them. After fulfilling her duty to the needy scholar, she turned back to Gracie. "'What is it?' she said softly, taking the vacant seat by Gracie's side, and touching tenderly the crown of hair that covered the drooping head. Grace looked up quickly with a gleam of sunshine, through which shone a tear. "'It is a fit of the blues, I am almost afraid.' I am very much ashamed of myself. I don't feel so very often, Miss Wilbur. I think the feeling must be what the girls call blues. I'm not sure. Do you feel in any degree sure what has caused such a remarkable disease to attack you? Marion asked in a low, tender, yet cheery and half-amused tone. The words made Gracie laugh, but the tenderness in the tone seemed to start another tear. You will be amused at me, Miss Wilbur, or ashamed of me, I don't know which. I am ashamed of myself, but I do feel so forlorn and lonely. Lonely? Marion echoed with a little start. 
she realized that she herself knew in its fullness what that feeling was but for gracie dennis treasured as she was in an atmosphere of fatherly love it was hard to understand it if i had my dear father i don't think i should feel lonely she said gently i know grace answered he is the dearest father a girl ever had but there is only a little bit of him mine miss wilbur i don't mean that either i am not selfish i know he loves me with all his heart but i mean his time is so very much occupied that he can only give me very little bits now and then it has to be so it is not his fault i would not have him any different even in this but then if i had a sister don't you see how different it would be or even a brother or and here gracie's head dropped low and her voice quivered miss wilbur if i had a mother one who loved me and would sympathize with me and help me i think i would be the happiest girl in all the world there was every appearance that with a few more words of tender sympathy this young girl would lose all her self-control and be that which she so much shrank from an object of general wonderment and conversation marion felt that she must bestow her sympathy sparingly i dare say you would give yourself over to a hearty struggle not to hate her outright she said in a quiet matter-of-fact tone the sobs which were shaking the young girl beside her were suddenly checked presently gracie looked up a gleam half of mirth half of defiance in her handsome eyes i mean a real mother she said haven't you one doesn't she love her darling and watch over and wait for her coming the voice had taken on its tenderness again then after a moment marion added it is hard to realize i know but i believe it and i look toward that thought with all my soul you remember gracie that i have nothing but that to feed on no earthly friend to help me realize it gracie stole a soft hand to her teachers i wish you would love me very much she said brightly i wish you would let me love you do you know you help me every time you speak to me and you do it in such strange ways not at all in the direction that i am looking for help i do thank you so much then suppose you prove it to me by showing what an immaculate copy of your exercise you can hand in to-morrow don't you know it is by just such commonplace matters as that that people are permitted to show their love and gratitude and all those delightful things that is what glorifies work another clinging pressure of hands and teacher and pupil went about their duties but though marion had helped gracie she had not helped herself except that in a tired sort of way she realized that it was a great pleasure to be able to help anybody most of all this favorite pupil still the dreariness did not lessen it went home with her to her dingy boarding-house followed her to the gloomy dining-room and the uninviting supper-table the most that was the trouble with marion wilbur was that she was tired in body and brain if people only realized it a great many mental troubles and trials result from overworked bodies and nerves still it must be confessed that there were few if any outside influences that were calculated to cheer marion wilbur's life you are to remember how very much alone she was there were no letters to be watched for in the daily mails no hopeful looking forward if one failed to come no cheery saying to one's heart never mind it will surely come to-morrow 
this state is infinitely better than the hopeless glance one bestows upon the postman realizing he is nothing to them no friends father and mother gone so long ago that of one there was no recollection at all of the other tender childhood memories sweet and lasting and incomparably precious but only memories no sister no brother no cousins that had taken the place to her of sisters only that old uncle and aunt who were such staid and common and plodding people that sometimes the very thought of them tired this girl so full of life and energy girl i call her but she had passed the days of her girlhood few knew it it was wonderful how young and fresh her heart had kept that being the case of course her face had taken the same impress it was hard for ruth erskine to realize that her friend marion was really thirteen years older than herself there were times when marion herself felt younger than ruth did but the years were there and in her times of depression marion realized it so many of them recorded and yet no friends to whom she had a right feeling sure that nothing in human experience this side of death would be likely to come in and take her away from them the very supper-table at that boarding-house was sufficient to add to her sense of desolation it is a pitiful fact that we are such dependent creatures that even the crooked laying of a cloth and the coffee stains and milk stains and gravy stains thereon can add to our sense of friendlessness then what is there particularly consoling or cheering in a cup of weak tea and a bit of bread a trifle sour spread over by butter more than a trifle strong even though it is helped down by some very dry bits of chipped beef this was marion's supper the boarders were some of them cross some of them simply silent and hurried all of them damp for they were every one workers out in the damp dreary world and most of them in fact i may say all of them were very tired yet many of them had work to do that very evening marion ate her supper in silence too at least she bit at her bread and tried to swallow her simpering tea when her heart was bright and her plans for the evening definite and satisfactory she could manage the sour bread and strong butter even with something like a relish but there was no use in trying them to-night she even tormented herself with the planning of a dainty supper accompanied by exquisite table arrangements such as she would manage for a sister say if she had one a sister who had been in school all day and was wet and hungry and tired if she had the room and the table and the china and the materials out of which to construct the supper she was reasonable enough to see that there were many ifs in the way but the picture did not make the present supper relish she struggled to rally her weary powers she asked the clerk next to her if it had been a busy day and she told the sewing girl at her left about a lovely bouquet of flowers that one of the girls brought to school and that she had meant to bring home with her if it was presented to be sure it was not but the intention was the same and the heart of the sewing girl was cheered finally marion gave over trying to swallow her supper and assuring herself with the determination to go early to bed and so escape faintness she went up three flights of stairs to her room when i am rich and a woman of leisure i will build a house that shall have pleasant rooms and good bread and butter and i will board school-teachers and sewing-girls and clerks for a song this she said aloud 
then she set about making a bit of a blaze, or a great deal of smoke in the little imp of a stove. The stove was small and cracked and rusty, and could smoke like a furnace. What a contrast to the glowing coal grate where Flossie at this hour toasted her pretty cheeks! Yet Marion, in her way, was less dismal than Flossie in hers. It was not in Marion's nature to shed any tears. Instead, she hummed a few notes of a glorious old tune, triumphant in every note, trying this to rob herself of gloom and cheat herself into the belief that she was not very lonely and that her life did not stretch out before her as a desolate thing. She did not mean to give herself up to glooming, though she did hover over the little stove and lean her cheek on her hand and look at nothing in particular for a few minutes. What she said when she rallied from the silence was simply, "'What an abominable smoke you can make, to be sure, Marion Wilbur, when you try. Hardly anyone can compete with you in that line at least.' Then she drew her school reports toward her, intending to make them out for the week thus far, but she scribbled on the fly-leaf with her pencil instead. She wrote her own name, Marion J. Wilbur, a pretty enough name. She smiled tenderly over the initial of J. Nobody knew what it was for. Suppose the girls knew that it stood for Josiah, her father's name, that he had named her, after her mother was buried, Marion, that after the mother, Josiah, that after the father, Wilbur, the dear name that belonged to them both, in this way fancying in his gentle heart that he linked this child to them both in a way that would be dear to her to remember. It was dear, she loved him for it. She thoroughly understood the feeling, but hardly anyone else would. So she thought she had never given them a chance to smile over the queer name her father had given, she could smile herself, but she wanted no one else to do so. Then she wrote Grace L. Dennis. What a pretty name it was. She knew what the L was for, Lawrence, the family name, Grace's mother's name. Her mother, too, had died when she was a wee baby. Gracie remembered her, though, and by that memory so much more did she miss her. Marion knew how that was by her remembrance of her father. All the same, she would not have that blotted out, by so much richer was Gracie than herself, and then that living, loving father. Marion smiled over the folly of Grace Dennis considering her life a lonely one. Yet I presume she feels it, poor darling, she said aloud and with a sigh. It was true that every heart knew its own bitterness. Then she said, I really must go to work at these reports. I wonder what the girls are doing this evening. Yuri is nursing her mother, I suppose. Blessed Yuri, mother and father, both within the fold, brought there by Yuri's faithful life. Mrs. Mitchell told me so herself. What a sparkle that will make in Yuri's crown. I wonder what Ruth meant this morning. Poor child, she has trouble too, different from mine. Why, as to that, I really haven't any. Ruth ought to count her Marcy's, though, as old Dinah says. She has a great deal that I haven't. Yes, indeed, she has. I suppose little Flossie is going through tribulation over that tiresome party. I wonder why one half of the world have to exist by tormenting the other half. Now, Marion Wilbur, stop scribbling names and go to work. Steady scratching from the old steel pen a few minutes, then a knock and a message. 
Dr. Dennis wanted to see her a few minutes if she had leisure. Dr. Dennis, she said, rising quickly and pushing away her papers. Oh, dear me, where is that class book of mine? He wants those names, I dare say, and I haven't them ready. I might have been copying them while I was mooning my time away here. The first words she said to him as she went down to the stuffy boarding-house parlor were, I haven't them ready, Dr. Dennis. I'm real sorry, and it's my fault, too. I had time to copy them, and I just didn't do it. I haven't come for them, he said, smiling and holding out his hand. How do you do? Oh, quite well. Didn't you come for them? I am glad, for I felt ashamed. Dr. Dennis, don't you see how well one woman can do the work of twenty? Don't you like the way the primary class is managed? Oh, by the way, you want that book, don't you? I meant to send it home by Gracie. I don't want it, he said, laughing this time. Are you resolved that I may not call on you without a good and tangible reason? If that be the case, I certainly have one. I want you to sit down here while I tell you all about it. I'm not in the mood for a scolding, she said, trying to speak gaily, though there was a curious little tremble to her voice. I have been away down in the valley of gloom today. I believe I am a little demoralized. Dr. Dennis, I think I need a prayer meeting every evening. I could be happier then, I know. A Christian ought to be able to have one, he said quickly. Two souls ought to be able to come together in communion with the Master every evening. There is a great deal of wasted happiness in this world. I want to talk to you about that very thing. Dr. Dennis was not given to making long calls on his parishioners. There were too many of them, and he had too little time. But he made an unprecedentedly long one on Marion Wilbur. When she went back to her room that night, the fire was gone out entirely. Not even a smoke remained. She lighted her little smoky lamp, there was no gas on the third story, and looked at her watch with an amazed air. She had not imagined that it could be nearly eleven o'clock. Then she pushed the reports into a drawer and turned the key. No use to attempt reports for that evening. As she picked up her class book, the scribbling on the fly-leaf caught her eye again. She smiled a rare, rich, happy smile, then swiftly she drew her pencil and added one more name to the line. Marion Wilbur, Marion J. Wilbur, it read. There was just room on the line for another word, then it read, Marion J. Wilbur Dennis. To be sure, she took her rubber quickly from her pocket and obliterated every trace of that last. But what of it? There are words and deeds that cannot so easily be obliterated, and Marion, as she laid her grateful head on her fluffy little pillow that night, was thankful it was so, and felt no desire to erase them. Desolate? Not she. God was very gracious. The brightness that she felt sure she could throw around some lives, she knew would have a reflex brightness for her. Then, queerly enough, the very next thing she thought of was that dainty supper she planned for herself that she would have prepared for a school-teacher, wet, hungry, and tired. Why not for a school-girl? If she had no sister to do it for, why not for a daughter? Dear little Gracie, she said, then she went to sleep. Meantime, during that eventful evening, Ruth sat in her room, alone, 
busy with grave and solemn thoughts. Her father was already many miles away. He had gone to see his wife and daughter. Yuri, at that same hour, was bending anxiously over a sick mother, trying to catch the feebly whispered direction, with such a heavy, heavy pain at her heart. But the same patient, wise, all-powerful father was watching over and directing the ways of each of his four girls. End of chapter 25 Recording by Tricia G.